switching all the time Switching ain't no crime I gotta change the climate I gotta raise my rate You see a boy in motion There's never much to lay Switching is easy Hope is essential and you know When you pick it Good morning, and welcome to episode 773 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindbergh of 538. Hi, Ben. Hello. How are you doing? Okay. Anything you want to talk about today, Ben? Well, Lloyd McClendon was hired to manage the Toledo Mud Hens. It seems like a weird transition, right? It doesn't seem like a lot of major league managers... Go, go from major league manager to minor league manager. Multi-time major league manager, experienced manager who's managed for multiple teams. Maybe he figures that being the AAA manager for the Tigers when Brad Osmus is fired is like the, your best yeah. shot of being a manager again. It is, it is like it is like looking at all the closers and figuring out yeah. which which setup guy you should pick up by who's got the shakiest hold on the right. job. So he's like he's a yeah he's a wobbly chair assessor he's analyzed all the chair solidities and he thinks that osmosis is the wobbliest so he's next in line maybe but it's a weird move it's like it's not quite ruben amaro becoming the red sox first base coach after being a gm but it's up there you definitely don't see guys going back down to the minors in a full-time role like that these days uh, you said it's not quite i don't know how, what metric we're using to measure <laughs> these moves but Rise plus i i kind of feel like it maybe is more surprising to me although you're right the osmus angle is is solid but to me it's it well first of all okay do triple a managers ever get bumped up to the major league manager it seems like that's rare like i can't yeah, that is yeah i mean they're like they're often the interim guy, I think, uh-huh. but the interim guy often doesn't get hired. Yeah, it seems like, I don't know if it ever was, and maybe it still is more than I'm thinking, but it, it sort of feels like an, an old model. Like, I could see 60 years ago, you fire your manager, and then you go, well, bump up the guy from AAA. But I kind of feel like now bench coaches, the yeah. clear, the clear uh, farm system for your interim manager. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like, for instance, uh, Pete McCannon. With Phillies. Right. Uh, and many others, <laughs> but McCannon especially. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so anyway, that is that to me feels um, weirder than Amaro because Amaro still gets all the luxury of being in the major leagues. Like he still That's gets true. the travel, the ballpark, the, you know, the third deck, the per diem. Doesn't get and the luxury suite probably. He, he, doesn't he, could, get, he could wander in. But the game no, I, is going I mean, on, so he's got to be standing in first base. No, I don't mean he owns the third deck. I'm saying like he gets to pl- he gets to stand under the third deck. You know, oh, okay. The prestige of the third deck, uh, and uh, and he gets to hang out with you know David Ortiz instead of like Nick Noonan. I don't know. I couldn't think of one quick enough. Uh, <laughs> and that's all really fun. And it's clearly a like this is. I think it's safe to kind of assume based on his uh, job search and what he's expressed that he wants to do this is clearly like for him going to grad school right like he's he's setting himself up to to learn so that he can move into this next phase this is a a a stepping stone for him for amaro uh, for amaro yeah 
Uh, and so, yeah, it's like, you know, sometimes, for instance, uh, grown adults who have accomplished careers still go to the University of Phoenix and get their degree in something. Uh, and that's kind of what he's doing here. And you wouldn't mock him and be like, ah, back to college. Uh, it's just what you do. And so that kind of makes some sense to me. Uh, and McClendon makes some sense to me, too. I, I just if we're if we're measuring the surprise, I would say that. Uh, the Amara one has more colorful details, but the McClendon one is technically probably more surprising. Yeah. He must really love managing or be really, really <laughs> confident. He must be really shorting Brad Osmus's managerial career. Yeah. How far away is Toledo from Indiana? It's pretty close, right? Yeah. He's from Indiana. Maybe he gets a, a little bit of a hometown. Maybe he, I mean, maybe he would rather be 200 miles from his home. Mm-hmm. Uh than to be a bench coach for the Mariners, or well, he probably wouldn't be for the Mariners, but you know, to be a bench coach for some team that's much farther away from his home, mm-hmm. which would be the other natural thing. Like that's what you would otherwise expect. Is you'd expect him to be a bench coach. All right. Well, we've broken wonder, down Lloyd McClendon's new job from every angle. I wonder if bench coach is going to be uh, a position that we start paying a lot more attention to, and that we oh, that becomes a lot more competitive because it does sort of seem like. The bench coach has more of a role, more of, in in a lot of cases, more of a liaison type role with the front office than it used to. That there's a lot more information uh, processing required, and where I do sort of think of the bench coach as being the natural next step is manager more than any other position. Mm-hmm. Like Mark McGuire, for instance, just got named while we were talking, just got named the bench coach of the Padres, and that seems kind of significant. Like, doesn't that sort of seem like oh, Mark McGuire is going to be a manager soon? Yeah, and. So I, I wonder if we'll start paying a lot more attention to bench coaches. Okay. Well, <laughs> Time will tell. We probably will. You mm. and me probably <laughs> will. Anything else? Nope. All right. So, Ben, I want to talk about Araldus Chapman. Okay. Our very first topic mm-hmm. on this podcast. Maybe maybe our last. Maybe we'll <laughs> call it quits after this. Uh-huh. Uh, I want to talk about Araldus Chapman um, from a couple of different angles, but, you know, his his – his place on the trade market right now. Right. Uh, he seems very likely to be traded. Walt Jockety said that he hopes to get something done at the winter meetings, which is a very specific, like a very direct, I mean, you usually know who who's available and who's being shopped, but you very rarely hear a GM say, I want to move this guy now. Yeah, it's almost leverage reducing. It would be if, uh, it seems leverage reducing, although I sort of suspect that to some degree that leverage is uh, way overhyped uh, with this sort of stuff. Uh, I mean, the mere fact that you're having a conversation about a player indicates that you're willing to move him, and I don't know how much more. But anyway, it is weird. All right. So uh, the first thing I want to talk about with Heraldus Chapman is that he is a year away from free agency. He is a reliever. Mm-hmm. He has always been a reliever. Uh, he doesn't have to have always been a reliever, but he was. And it used to be very controversial that he was a reliever. The first episode we talked about, I think, was partly about yeah. this question, whether he was uh, should be a reliever. Uh, and he, uh, they almost made him a starter. He preferred relieving. And I'm wondering, though, now, from his perspective, he's a year away from free agency. If he were to declare right now, I actually uh, do want to be a starter. I'm going to be a starter this year. Make me a starter. Uh, and he became a average or better starter. Uh, he would be in line to make a lot more as a free agent, right? It, mm-hmm. he, I mean, it, I don't know what the 
outer bounds of what a reliever can get as a free agent, he would definitely test it. But like Andrew Miller is has a much shorter track record, but Andrew Miller is about as good as a reliever can be. And, you know, it, it's, I don't think he got 50 million guaranteed. And Craig Kimbrell is what was, this was an, a pre ARB extension, but you know, it, it's somewhere around like probably 60 million is probably the most a reliever can hope to get. Mm-hmm. Right. Like four at 60. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair estimate for what Aroldis Chapman will get as a reliever on the free agent market. And, sure. And then, you know, a good starter, a number two starter will make much more than that. Then you're looking at something like $100 million, maybe more. And if he's an ace, now now you're looking at $180 million, maybe $240 million, maybe something ridiculous. And so it does, I don't, I, I'm not suggesting he's going to do this, but carrying over our conversation yesterday about how much an agent should be involved in team decisions and further how much a player should be involved in team decisions and how much he should be advocating for his own self-interest, this is a scenario that is potentially kind of like what I was talking about the slippery slope getting to, where you could imagine Aroldis Chapman uh, as a rookie, as a second-year player, as a third-year player, as a fourth-year player, very reasonably saying, I want to be a reliever. Make me a reliever. I don't want to pitch all the time. I don't want to get hurt. I want to keep my arm fresh. It does me no good to pitch 230 innings before you're paying me for them. So make me a reliever. That's where I'm comfortable. And then his incentives then in year five after his fifth year, they become perhaps the exact opposite where now he can be a starter. Everybody will talk about how young his arm is because he saved all his bullets. They already know how dominant he is. He already you know, got to basically made about as much as he would have made as a starter up to this point anyway. And now he can reposition himself as a starting pitcher, hit free agency, get starting pitching money, and maybe even get more than the average starter because of the young arm theory, right? Mm-hmm. I, yeah? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I, I wonder if he announced today that he'd prefer to be a starting pitcher next year how many teams would actually make him a starting pitcher next year. I wonder if that ship has sort of sailed at this point. Now that so many teams have seen him be excellent in a closer role and know that he was reluctant to be a starter before, and maybe those teams have become convinced that his stuff or his mentality plays better in the bullpen, I wonder if you put a role this Chapman on 30 teams somehow, and told them that he'd be open to being a starter next year, how many of them would actually convert him? Well, there's two questions. One is how many would do it by choice. And then the other question is, does the player actually have any leverage in this situation? Does, if your agent calls and does the same kind of intervention that, uh, you know, Scott Boris might do for Jose Fernandez innings or did for Strasburg's innings or did for Harvey's innings, does he actually have any pull? So, of the 30, how many would do it uh, gladly and excitedly and say, oh, thank goodness he finally came to his senses. And we just, I mean, because really, like, you've seen Araldis Chapman pitch. Like, you could imagine that that would be a pretty fun starter. You could imagine that he could be a, he could be a top five starter in baseball, right? I could imagine. I think it's unlikely, but... Why do you think it's unlikely? I mean, it may, it's unlikely because it's unlikely that anybody will be, but yeah. why is it unlikely? I mean, the guy, he he sits 103 in mm-hmm. in relief. Like, it's he's got he's got multiple pitches. He's got 
he's unhittable. His strikeout rate is 16 per nine as a reliever, and he's basically, you know, invincible, right? As a reliever, he as is. As a reliever. So what what is it about him that makes you think that he would be trouble? He just, I mean, he doesn't use his changeup that much, and he doesn't have doesn't, to in this have to. role, of course, but I don't know how good it is. I mean, it's good probably when he's throwing 103 and he's not using it very much, but is it a real third pitch that would be average or better for a starter? I, I don't know, maybe. So mm-hmm. that would be my concern. And just, you know, his his past reluctance to be a starter and the fact that he's like the ultimate max effort guy, would he be able to sustain that for six innings? So there there are some doubts. I mean, there there's enough doubt that I wouldn't project him to be one of the best starters in baseball if he were to make that transition now. What would you project him to be? I guess above average. But yeah, that's about all I would say. Really? So if uh, if I gave you the choice uh, between him and Danny Duffy as a starter, mm. uh, wow, really? I, yeah, I'd have to think about it. Wow, him or Marco Estrada? Probably take Chapman over Estrada. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. We haven't we haven't seen it, right? And when he started in the minors, it wasn't all that impressive. Imagine that he that you'd never seen him pitch at all. That he was a Cuban import right now, mm-hmm. and you saw, you just saw his bullpen. Yeah. You pay. I mean, how much would you pay for that guy, right now as a starter? Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I thought of it that way, I'd maybe be more optimistic. I mean, I don't. He just, you know, he walks a lot of guys, and he walked a lot of guys as a starter in the minors. And he walked a lot of guys in Cuba, and so I don't know. I'm just I'm not sure. I mean, if he loses a few miles per hour, he'd obviously still be throwing upper 90s. But uh, would the changeup be good if he's using it 20% of the time? And would he be able to pace himself? And would he be happy? All of those doubts would creep in. So I don't I I don't know. I wouldn't project him to be an elite starter. It's just such a weird transition it's i mean there are probably very few successful relievers who could have been good starters right because in almost every case if you can be a good starter you get to be a starter um generally when a team puts you in the bullpen i mean maybe it's because you really really want to be in the bullpen but there's usually some kind of concern that maybe it wouldn't work as well in the starting rotation. So Well, but there's concern. There's, every starter doesn't work as well in the rotation. There's always concern. You, yeah. you I mean, still yeah, get I mean, value uh, out of it, though. Like, right. nobody's a perfect starter. Even Kershaw doesn't have a changeup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he's got many pitches. He's maybe too many pitches. But, yeah, I mean, I mean that it would be a, a, a larger-than-usual gap between what you are as a starter and as a reliever for him well i'm very i am surprised to hear that you that you are that somewhat pessimistic on his outlook as a starter Mm -hmm. uh imagine uh so so you think what of the 30 teams what what's your guess for how many would uh opt for starter as choice as their choice nine huh okay now uh of, of the other 21 do you think that there are any that could be compelled 
to put him in the starting job simply by him saying, this is what I want. This is how I'm, I mean, it's worked for him before, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's the ultimate leverage that a player has is that teams want their player to be happy because they think that he'll do better. So you don't want a sulking player who's not going to pitch as well because he doesn't have confidence or he's not happy and he's not only performing worse, but he's messing with clubhouse chemistry because he's sulking about his role. And so all those things definitely enter into it. That's that's some leverage that you have as a player. So if he did declare on in this hypothetical 30 teams have him world, if he did declare that he wanted to be a starter, he his agent demands that he be a starter, uh-huh. that he says he is not interested in playing for a team that will not let him start. How many teams hmm. have him starting? I think at least 20 have him start in spring training, uh-huh. which, which he's done before and with the Reds. And so, yeah, maybe 20, maybe 25. I mean, there's no real harm in, in giving a guy a shot in spring training. You might say that it increases your injury risk to switch roles or something. But other than that, the games don't matter and you have to build up the arm anyway. So I would say... Uh, yeah, a large majority of them would at least give him the chance to prove himself or fail. Let's say that this was his plan all along, to save his arm, to be in relief, <laughs> to dominate, and then to, in year six, <clears throat> uh, reclaim his role as a starter. Very hit clever. Free agent. It is very clever, yeah. But, well, what I'm going to ask you, though, uh-huh. is was it too clever by half? Would he have hurt his chances? Or would he have been like? would he have been better off being a starter the whole time in your opinion? I don't think so. I think if he could demonstrate that he could start now, he would make more than if he had been starting, you know, at a fairly good level all along. Yeah. I think people pay probably more than they should pay a premium for pitchers who can do both roles well or or they value them more like the John Smoltz Hall of Fame case where people were adding up his wins as a starter and his saves as a reliever, even though saves are way (laughs) less impressive than what he did as a starter. People did that? Yeah. People people did that, and people, you know, like he he got this big bump over equivalent guys like Messina or Schilling, and part of that it seemed like, at least I wrote about this, and a lot of the people who kind of gave him an edge over those pitchers cited the fact that he was like an elite closer and an elite starter, which is a weird kind of dumb, I think, argument because most elite starters could be elite closers if they wanted to be, but they don't want to be. And he had to be because he had injury issues. So he was in a less valuable role and he was still really good at that role. But yeah, I think if Aroldis Chapman went from being maybe the best closer in baseball to a good starter, people would pay him even more, maybe. I mean, if only just because he has a ton of notoriety now. He's Aroldis Chapman, the guy who throws harder than anyone else has ever thrown. And part of that is because he's been a closer and he's been pitching an inning at a time. And so he could really air it out. So he's known as this flamethrowing master and he has that going for him. Even if he were to switch to the starting rotation and only throw 98 or something, people would still think of him as or oldest Chapman, the guy who throws harder than anyone else. So yeah, I think if he started this year only, people would pay him as much or more than if he had been starting at the same level for several years. 
and not only just the being able to do both jobs, even though it's really just one job and, and a subset of that job, but as you said, he'd have fewer innings on his arm and less stress and workload, and you could say that maybe he'd be a lower injury risk too. So yeah, I think it would benefit him. Do you believe that it is um, <clears throat> more likely that he would have been injured by now if he'd been a starter? Yes. Okay. So this is only a sample of one, but it does seem like if this had been his plan all along, it would have worked out absolutely beautifully for him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if a player feels like he has the leverage to dictate the way his club uses him, which is the whole point of the conversation is should a player and is it good and right that a player should feel that way uh, or whether a player should accept that he is an employee who is has managers who get to tell him what to do, uh, then uh, you could imagine that for any number of top prospects coming up, particularly the ones who uh, luck into a bullpen role for their first exposure, uh, maybe ought to be doing this. I don't see, I don't know that there is a downside. The only downsides would be, A, you might hurt your arbitration earnings. B, uh, you might be, uh, it's conceivable that being used in relief might actually, for whatever reason, your reasons, their reasons, who knows, might actually make you more likely to get hurt because the uh, it's a different kind of a fatigue, but maybe that fatigue hurts your arm more. Uh, and C3, whichever I was doing, uh, you have to now convince people that, uh, you can handle the starting role that right. you're, it's, it's hard once you've locked into a role, it's hard to convince people, but, uh, like, I don't know, could Trevor Rosenthal demand to be a starter right now? Same, same question, but 30 teams have Tre- Trevor Rosenthal and he demands to start. How many teams is he starting on? I'd say maybe more than Chapman, just because... Uh, more than Chapman? Because he's not as good a reliever? Yeah, maybe that. Or uh, did he he did he start longer? Did he have more of a... I mean, he never started in the in the majors. Well, Ch- Chapman just made it to the majors so quickly. So he had right. he was a starter for one year in the minors. Right. Because like, that was his only year. Yeah. I presume he was a starter in Cuba. Rosenthal yeah. was a starter all the way up until he got there. Right, yeah. So the fact that he was a starter in AAA and people were still talking about him as a starter not that long ago, I think maybe people would be more willing to give him a shot, but I don't know, about the same. How many if Andrew Miller demanded? <laughs> zero. Even if he demanded? Yeah. Okay, and Wade Davis, zero? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you were if you were bad as a starter and that's and I guess as a reliever, then you're not gonna go back. So I guess like if you imagine that Wade Davis had because Wade Davis was also a very good prospect, maybe not quite the same level, but a very good prospect came up as a starter. It, imagine if he had been a reliever this whole time, uh, then he we I would probably be assuming that he would be. This would be a guarantee for him, too. But instead, now, he presumably would hit his year six ultimatum, demand to be a starter, be a starter for the first time, probably be awful, and then go into free... How much would that hurt him going into free agency, as opposed to whether he had just been a great starter, a great reliever? Yeah, I'm not I'm trying sure. to figure out if there's any downside <laughs> here. What is the downside here, besides <laughs> being known as a uh, as an agitator? Right. Yeah, I'm not sure that there's that much downside. If he were bad as a starter in 2016, I think, I mean, A, he probably wouldn't spend the whole 
season in the rotation, right? No one would give him a full season if you know you have a oldest Chapman, like potential best reliever in baseball. If he struggles for a few starts, you probably just move him back whether he wants to or not. So, right. And even if you didn't, like even if you let him limp along as an average starter or something all year or worse, the next team would know, I think, that you could just turn him back into amazing oldest Chapman. So, yeah, I don't think there's that much downside other than just his flip-flopping and indecisiveness about what he wants to do, and that's that's probably about it. I wonder, oh man, this is going to happen. <laughs> it should happen. If I were his agent, I would definitely bring it up. <laughs> I would I'd at least take his temperature on this. All right. Last uh, angle to Chapman uh, is I, Jeff Solon wrote a nice piece about his trade value. Uh, and I'm curious what you think his trade value should be. And uh, as Jeff notes, the first thing that you have to, to do is figure out what he would get as a uh, as a closer if he were a free agent willing to sign one year. Uh, so what do you think a team would pay Aralis Chapman for one year if he were a free agent right now? I think Jeff was about right. Jeff, Jeff guessed 30. 25, maybe 30. Uh-huh. I, I don't think it would get to 30, but I, I think... 25 is about right. I mean, he he is truly a 60-inning reliever. He's not going to have a 70 or 80-inning year. So, obviously, he's as dominant as anyone in those innings. But, yeah, I don't know. Paying a closer, I mean, as Jeff pointed out, the highest annual salary ever is, what, $31 million? And I don't think that a closer, even on a year, would get to that so somewhere in the 25 to 30 range so let's say it's 30 when he does hit free agency he's let you know again like i think maybe four and 60 is a a reasonable guess for for what he'll get just based on what other closers have gotten and where the cap seems to be and for years we've kind of agreed that closers as a group are overpaid that teams go too long and too expensive on guys who are fairly replaceable when they could have uh, comparable options uh, pitching for them in AAA or whatever. Uh, but I, if he's really worth 30 a year for one year, yeah. then it seems to me that four at 60 is way low. And I, it makes mm-hmm. me wonder whether we're seeing, whether in fact all this time, or at least recently, the very top relievers have been like hugely undervalued yeah unless you think that relievers are less reliable just as a group than other types of players and so you would pay a premium for one year of a reliever but you would have a a disproportionate discount for subsequent years compared to other positions i don't know if that's true but that is a perception right people think that about relievers that they're more variable or more fungible or just more liable to turn back into a pumpkin. I think the most important factor with relievers is really the idea that you're, if you have, now I'll, I'll back up a little and say, well, there's certainly room for two dominant relievers in a bullpen or three or four or five. There's no, you know, there's not, uh, a, there's not like a max of one. But uh, the thing about the teams that did well in the postseason this year is that, as a lot of people noted, they have great, they had great lights out closers and one of the reasons the Astros are in such a seem to be in the mix for Chapman and every other awesome reliever 
uh, is that they were seen as not having that great lights out closer and all of that. But it's not as though these are teams that went out looking for a lights out closer. The lesson every year is that guys emerge out of nowhere. I mean, Osuna was in high A. Wade Davis was, you know, last year he was great, but he was a failed starter. Familia wasn't the closer on opening day. Who else was there in the uh, Rondon was, you know, Andrew Miller Davis, was a failed starter. Who was a failed starter that the Angel, the uh, y- Yankees did mm-hmm. spend for him. They did yes. go. You had they had to get they had to pay Andrew Miller prices for Andrew Miller, and you could argue that the Dodgers are essentially paying Kenley Jansen prices for Kenley Jansen. Uh, even though he's, you could also say, well, he was a converted catcher. But the point is kind of that, like, uh, it, everybody wants to have the lights out bullpen. It is very difficult to prioritize that, and that the teams that do prioritize that seem every year to end up with the wrong guy. Um, and so it's it's not clear that knowing how important a closer is is the same as being able to do it. Uh, so I don't know. That's all. Jonathan Papelbon. That's all. <laughs> Okay. All right. So we will do an email show next, most likely. So send us some emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash wild. And rate and review the show on iTunes. Please support our sponsor, Play Index at baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP and get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We'll be back tomorrow. All right, where was I? You said hello, and I said hello. All right, what was I talking about? Uh, nothing. You don't know. You don't know, I don't because know. I hadn't said. Right. right.